Who is gaining more power in the current marketplace? Is it the institution, the company, or is it the individual? Why should you even care about the answer to that question? And how will it impact you? All that in this episode. Leadership is the ability to facilitate movement in others toward a destination you can describe. I'm Russ Hill. I help build leaders. And this is the Culture Hacks Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Tap on the follow, plus, or subscribe button, and you'll get two new episodes each week. Thanks for listening to the Culture Hacks Podcast with Russ Hill. So I think I mentioned that um, this topic came up in a conversation with a senior executive at a uh, Fortune 10 company. We were in the room uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. just a few weeks ago at this particular meeting, and this topic came up. And I'll, I'll provide the context again in case you didn't hear that episode or don't remember it. Um, and and then I want to talk about why this is such a big deal because it keeps it, it's coming up over and over again. And I'm going to read for you. I know that sounds cheesy and weird, but I'm but I think you'll get a ton of value out of it. I'm going to read for you maybe three or four pages, maybe two pages. We'll see how it goes um, from uh, chapter two in our latest book, The Great Resignation. When did, when did this book come out? Like 20 came out in 2021. And the, the chapter two is called The Rise of the Individual. And this was something that was really, really interesting to us as we wrote this book about all of the shifts that are taking place in the way that we work. This whole thing we call the Great Resignation, which some people are saying are is over and they're totally full of it. There's no data that really supports that. Um it, it, the, the reality is the way we've worked has changed and every single organization in the world's talking about it. And, um, and it's a, it's a source of, um, tremendous debate. And I want to, I want to give you some background on why this is, why this is on my mind and why I think it, it's going to impact you. It is impacting you and will impact you dramatically over the next decade or two of your career. You thinking through this is going to be really critical, whether you're making decisions about hiring people and or making policies around how we work together or thinking through, well, what do I want to be doing in five years or 10 years? And and wh- where am I going to find success in the future in my career? You got to be thinking about this. I'm going to make the case for that here in just a moment. Welcome into the Culture Hacks podcast. I'm Russ Hill. I make my living coaching and consulting senior executive teams at some of the world's biggest companies. I love what I do. And um, I, I, I just love it. And if you want to find out more about our firm and uh, some of the organizations that we work with, go to LoneRockConsulting.com. LoneRockConsulting.com. Okay. So, um, in fact, why don't I just start with with um, a few pages of the book? And I know that sounds so dry, but I'll, I'll deliver it in a way you all that's going to be incredibly entertaining <laughs> and engaging for you. OK, but this is going to lay the context for why I'm talking about this. Chapter two, the great resignation. If you haven't read it, shame on you. Um, but uh, we put a ton. It's our thickest, most well-researched book. Uh, whether or not it, 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 it really doesn't matter. I'm not well, I'm not here to sell you a book. Um, 
we, we that doesn't matter um, on the scale of revenue. Book sales are are certainly not our driver. Um, but um, I just I just we put a lot of energy into this, and I think it will help you be more informed as you lead others and make career decisions. So if you haven't read it, I, I'd encourage you to check it out. If not, no big deal. Here's chapter two, just a few pages, titled "The Rise of the Individual." Naval Ravikant. I'm reading uh, pages now. Naval Ravikant is the famous guy most of you have never heard of, unless you love Twitter and follow visionaries. In the middle of the night on May 31st, 2018, Naval did what Donald Trump did far too often and unleashed a tweet storm. Starting at 1.23 a.m. and continuing for 19 minutes, he sent out 40 tweets. Quote, I thought it was a really crass topic that people would just sort of attack me. I didn't think it would be very popular, but it turns out everyone wants to make money, Naval said days later. More than 160,000 people liked the tweets he labeled How to Get Rich. The tweet storm landed the angel investor on the Jill Rogan experience and the Tim Ferriss show and inspired a follower to publish the almanac of Naval Ravikant on Amazon. Here are some of the tweets. You're not going to get rich renting out your time. The internet has massively broadened the possible space of careers. Most people haven't figured this out yet. Don't partner with cynics and pessimists. Their beliefs are self-fulfilling. Embrace accountability and take business risks under your own name. Society will reward you with responsibility, equity, and leverage. Labor means people working for you. It's the oldest and most fought over form of leverage. Labor leverage will impress your parents, but don't waste your time chasing it. An army of robots is freely available. It's just unpacked in data centers for heat and space efficiency use it. So those were some of the, I'm taking a break from the book for just a second. Some of the, those are some of the tweets that we published in the great resignation. And by the way, those dramatically, those dramatically affected my choices and my thinking over the last five years from a career standpoint, everything. And they're guiding it right now, everything that was just in there. And that those were just what? Six tweets. Six statements out of the, what did I say? 40 tweets. Okay, so back to the book. Naval was born in New Delhi and moved to New York with his mom and brother when he was nine. After a brief stint at Boston Consulting Group, he left for Silicon Valley where he started epinions.com and later sold it to gain the cash he invested in early rounds of funding for Twitter, Uber, Foursquare, and many others. Those investments and connections led him to found Angel List. Naval is a rare visionary, selling nothing and seemingly unaffected by attention. In a profile by the Wall Street Journal, he said he strives to be, quote, more compassionate, more kind, more honest, and not in it for the short term. Millions listened and watched as Joe Rogan asked Naval, quote, I feel like many people, there's stress accentuated by unhappy lives, by being trapped. There's a big difference not knowing what the meaning of life is and, um, gosh, I got to get the crap out of this job. 
I can't live my life this way. What's the meaning of life? Is this my life? And then Naval responded to that with, quote, I was born poor and miserable. Now I'm pretty well off and happy. There are some principles I've been carrying in my head for 30 years and living them. There are two great addictions, heroin and a monthly salary. You don't get rich renting out your time. We like to view the world as linear. I'm going to put in eight hours of work and get back eight hours of output. It doesn't work that way. The guy running the corner grocery store is working just as hard or harder than you and me. How much output is he getting? What you do, who you do it with, and how you do it are way more important than how hard you work. Um, again, I want to take a break because I'm gonna, from the book reading it. I'm going to say that statement again. That is crazy important. What you do, who you do it with, and how you do it are way more important than how hard you work. Do you think that most of society understands that? Do you understand that? Like how hard you work matters, but these other things matter more. Okay, back to the <laughs> back to the book. Naval went on to say in this interview with Joe Rogan, quote, it's industrial work with factories that created this current model of thousands of people working together on one thing and having bosses and schedules and times to show up. The information revolution by making it easier to communicate, connect, and cooperate is allowing us to go back to working for ourselves. We are seeing an itemization of the firm. We're seeing the optimal size of the firm shrink. It's most obvious in Silicon Valley. Quick break from this quote, by the way, off the book. Is this not like this was, we wrote this and we, and he said this, before the rounds of layoffs in Silicon Valley in the last six to 12 months, the world's and these companies are huge, right? Meta, Facebook, Google, whatever, but they are shrinking. All of them have laid off people in the last six to 12 months. Will they add more people in the future? Probably, but the optimal size of the firm. And when he's saying firm, he doesn't mean those companies. He means all companies take the average of the organization, right? So anyway, back to the book. Um, we're seeing the, uh, let's see, we're seeing the optimal size of the firm shrink. It's most obvious in Silicon Valley, tons and tons of startups constantly coming up and shaving off little pieces of business of large companies and turning them into huge markets. So what looked like the small little vacation rental market on Craigslist has now suddenly blown up into Airbnb going on with this quote. What I think we're going to see is whether it's 10, 20, 50, or 100 years from now, high-quality work will be available. What we're talking about, what we're not talking about is driving an Uber. We're talking about super high-quality work. It will be available in a gig fashion. You'll wake up in the morning, your phone will buzz. You'll have five different jobs from people who have worked with you in the past or been referred to you. You decide whether to take the project or not. The contract is right there on the spot. You get paid a certain amount and then you get rated every day or every week. You get the money delivered and then when you're done working, you turn it off and you go to Tahiti or wherever you want to spend the next three months. The smart people 
have already started figuring out the Internet enables this, and they're starting to work more and more remotely on their own schedule at their own place with their own friends in their own way. And that's actually how we're the most productive. Okay, I'm going to break away from the book for a second. This interview was pre-COVID. I'm going to say that again. This interview, what Naval Ravikant is saying here, was pre-COVID. Go rewind the last 60 seconds of this podcast and listen to that last paragraph again and tell me he's not a visionary. Okay, so here's what, and that's why we wrote this in chapter two of our book. And back to the book, Naval struck a nerve. It's the same one that Tim Ferriss hit 11 years earlier when he published his first book that instantly made him famous. Quote, it's too big a world to spend most of life in a cubicle. Ferris declared in a book called The Four-Hour Workweek, Escape 9 to 5, Live Anywhere, and Join the New Rich. The book argues for people to spend more time on lifestyle design than career planning. The most fundamental of American questions is hard for me to answer. This is Ferris talking again in his book. The most fundamental of American questions is hard for me to answer. So what do you do? I never enjoyed answering this cocktail question because it reflects an epidemic I was long part of job descriptions as self descriptions. End of quote. That's the end of this, the, the quote from the book. Then our commentary for more than a decade, millions of people, some of them, your employees have put in their AirPods, hit the gym, listening to books and podcasts by Naval, Ferris, Gary Vaynerchuk, and others declaring that there's a better life than the one they're living. Naval said, this idea that we're all factory-like cogs in a machine who are specialized and have to do things by rote memorization or instruction is going to go away. And yet to many, it sounded like more than, like a dream than a real possibility. Quote, most of you will applaud what I'm saying, but you won't actually do it. You have too much to fear, Gary Vaynerchuk said on stage more than once. We know he's right. For years, that fear kept us working in corporate America for bosses we didn't like and wasting more time than we want to admit in meetings and cultures that we wanted out of. We're far from the only ones. So I'm writing in the book here, we're writing is this is us, our experience, right? So what's held people back? What's kept them working for a boss or a company they don't enjoy instead of pursuing the entrepreneurial path that these voices are advocating? We know what it was like for us and the data shows it's the same for most people. Risk. Humans are wired to survive. We dislike uncertainty more than discomfort. For most people, the risk that comes with leaving a job has kept them in their current one. But five things have shifted in recent years that are profoundly reducing that risk. These factors are making heading for the exit doors much easier. I won't read you all of those, all the detail around these five um, factors, but let me just give you the, the headline. Higher savings is the first factor. More people have in the bank than than more people have money in the bank. This is especially true in COVID. It's not as true today, but it's still true that people have the the average individual has more personal savings today than they did five years ago, ten years ago, and that's why inflation is what it is, right? That's one of the drivers. Is and you keep looking at the price of gas. You're like, who can afford to drive? And yet everyone's still driving. You look at the price of a restaurant meal, you're like, oh my gosh, that burrito cost me that, or that sandwich cost me that, and a, a, a year ago it cost me so much less, and yet the restaurant has a wait outside the door. 
Why? Because people have more money in savings. So that's factor number one. Factor number two is expanding social safety net. And we're not we're not giving any commentary on this in the book. But the reality is that um, the government in, in many parts of the world, including the U.S., has allocated a lot more money to the social safety net. And again, you can argue whether that's good or bad. And some of that is is expiring or has expired. But it's still true that the safety net is bigger than it used to be. Number three, the third factor that's leading for a change in the way we're working and less risk in leaving a job, the demise of non-compete agreements. And there's a whole section or a whole page in our book about that. And we we give some data on that where um, uh, J- President Joe Biden said a couple of years ago that he, he wanted Congress to do away with them, to make them illegal. They haven't done that, but several states have. And yet employers still put them in place. But the reality is they're not enforceable. You call, call any employment attorney. We did that when we left our, the firm that we were working for. We hired two different law firms to analyze our employment agreement. And both of them said this is completely unenforceable. If you want to challenge this and, and violate it, um, you, 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 you're good. They also advised us that, yeah, they'll probably fight you and you're going to have to spend money on, on, on uh, attorneys. And we decided to go ahead and mostly um, – well, not mostly, completely adhere to ours. And uh, for the time period that it, I, I think it lasted, a, yeah, it lasted a year. So we adhered to it. We didn't need to, to violate it um, or break it in order to be successful financially and from a business standpoint. But the attorneys were telling us that it wasn't enforceable. Um, so anyway, and I'm not giving legal advice. I'm not telling you not to follow yours. I'm just, I'm just quoting. Um, we're just quoting people in this book. So the fourth reason, the shrinking workforce And we talk about how the number of new employees going into the workforce is smaller now than it's ever been in the U.S. And and there's way more I could say about that. We don't have time here. And then lastly, the fifth reason is the growing gig economy. And we give well, let's see, we've got four pages here of um, of examples of where um, people that are making a significant amount of money, we're talking well into six figures and not working for organizations. And so we, we go in, the, the book goes on and, and that, that book on the rise of the, or that chapter on the rise of the individual goes into a, um, into another one. And, uh, and if, I'm just flipping through this book, you guys, I've got it in front of me. And the first chapter is a seismic shift and it quotes, uh, it talks about these colliding um, trends that are happening. Anyway, here's the point. Let me get away from the book for a second and tell you this, the way that we, the way that we've worked has changed. And the reality is that the individual has more power now than they've ever had. And so there are two ways to view that, right? One way is to view that as a boss or a leader in an organization. You're going, okay, how does that influence my decisions? And what's that going to do for my ability to hire people and to attract good talent? We're going to talk about that in just a second. The other way to consider that or to think about it, process it is, what does it mean for me as an individual a, a, a player in this game of the marketplace. And I, I want to talk about that too. And I've only got a few minutes to get into each one. So let's talk about from an employment standpoint. And this executive that I talked about a few minutes ago, and I mentioned a, a few weeks ago in another episode, who was making the case that no Russ, she was saying in this meeting, Russ, the, the institution is rising again. Yes, COVID gave a lot more power to the individual, but it's shifting back. And as, as the economy slows down, and there are a lot of people that believe that we're going into a recession, that we, we've we kind of been in one and we're going to go into a, a much deeper one. And we're seeing evidence 
um, with certain industries of companies that are really hesitant to spend a significant amount of money in different areas or to grow their workforce because they are buying into that theory. They're buying into this idea that there is a pretty big economic downturn coming. They may be completely wrong because there have been a good number of people saying that for like the last three years and it hasn't happened. But there are some smart people out there who you can read uh, what they're writing and they're saying it's coming. And so so my point in saying that is, yes, this economic downturn may come. It may be bad. It may be severe and it may not come at all. There's a massive debate on that. And so you don't know. Nobody can predict that. Anyone that predicts it and says it's absolutely going to be this way um, can be made a fool pretty darn quickly. Um, so if the if the economic downturn does come, there is some truth to that. Anytime it, the, the economy um, it contracts, it's going to give more power to the institution. Right. Because now it's more it's scarier to leave your job. It's scarier to go to another company. It's, you're, you've got so there's this psychological fear that employees get, and the institution becomes unemployment climbs, and the institute the the individual becomes more nervous, right? And um, and, and I want to make sure I don't lose this thought. So that's one big reason why you don't want to live your career or your life in a way that surrenders a great amount of authority or power or position to a company. I've been there. And then you fear what happens if I get laid off? What happens if um, the company doesn't agree with the direction I'm going? What happens if I'm a significant um, income, uh, someone who generates or, 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 takes a big income from the company, they could save a lot of money by cutting me. And then you just, you live in fear if you don't have options and you haven't thought through what does that path look like? And that was the case we were making in that chapter in the book. It wasn't, Hey, everybody go quit corporate America or quit the corporate world and become a, uh, an entrepreneur. No, that's not our point. Our point is just, if you keep reading in the book, it talks about, well, I don't want to surrender that. And so I want to get to a place in my career where I feel safety and security. And there are numerous things that you can do to, to create that. I've talked about them in previous episodes before. So the, um, is the, is the organization gaining more power? They might be, they may gain a little bit, but that is going to be short term. You all absolutely short term. You cannot put this genie back in the bottle, meaning at home work, meaning all these different things. Unless we go through a prolonged, I'm talking about multi-year, like five year economic downturn that is more severe and longer than we, we, we've seen in our lifetimes. And, and so unless that happens, which it could happen, the, 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 the way we work has changed, right? And so my belief is, yeah, that's going to ebb and flow a little bit, but you can't put the genie of more power, the trend that's been happening over the last 15 years of the individual gaining more power. It's you can't, you can't have Wi-Fi at home. You can't have virtual meeting capability. You can't have email and, and, um, the cloud and all of these things, you can't have those inventions and go, oh, no, really, the institution's just as powerful as they were 20 years ago. Prove it to me. How, how do you what's your evidence besides a little bit of an economic downturn? Otherwise, technology is that's what Nabal Ravikant was talking about. These data centers Th- that just naturally is giving power to the individual. If I can do business on my cell phone, 
I mean, I, I was, um, I, I was um, just what two days ago signing a contract with a, a Fortune 250 company that we 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 just signed up as a as a consulting client, and I signed the agreement on my iPhone in the woods, in the woods. Like before, five years ago, ten years ago, I would that would have been totally different. So that gives power to the individual. You understand that, right? If I can do work from home or I can do this or I can do that, you're just, you're, you're making that ability there. And then you can't say to people, in fact, um, it's so interesting to, I'm not going to make this about work from home. I'm just going to talk about there's multiple trends that you just can't argue or giving rise to the the, the trend line over the long haul is going to be more power to the individual, the rise of the individuals we called chapter two in the great resignation. So, as a, as a boss or leader of an organization, whatever else you think, okay, that's, that's interesting. And uh, at our firm, we've totally tried to play into that where we don't have any full-time employees, none. Everybody's contractor. And we've got, we've got a good number of people working for us from a design standpoint, a video editing, internet, whatever, developers, facilitators, consultants, what all these, you just look at all these different positions and they're all contract. These people have no, we don't know what they're doing from eight to five. They can go to the gym whatever time they want to. They can go walk their dog whenever they want to. They can work from wherever they want to. They can, you know, there are certain things they have to be at, but they get to figure it out. Just get the work done and then you get paid. And the money just goes into your account. And we've tried to build our company on that because we want, we want the type of individual who's comfortable with that, who isn't, because we do believe that the salary is an addiction. And you enable entitlement when you pay someone for showing up. And that makes sense in a restaurant or a retail outlet when you need coverage on the floor or factory. But other than that, why in the world would you pay somebody to show up? You pay performance and the most, the most, uh, the people who are hungriest, the people who have the greatest desire to achieve success, the people who want income growth, they thrive off of that. And, and you're seeing that more and more and more. They value freedom and control of their schedule and not being in adult daycare. And, they, they, and so they want that. And you just can't argue that that's going to happen. So I know that as an employer, I can, that can be a strategic advantage because I set up our organization to pay for people who and to hire people who are like that. Who, and I'm paying for performance. I've talked a lot about that over the last few years, so I'm not going to dig way deep into it. I'm a huge advocate that that's where the best talent is and the most successful companies are going to that model. Okay. So then I think about, okay, how can I structure my company that way? Um, What am I doing to attract people with that mindset versus the other mindset? And I quit spending a ton of energy thinking, no, the, I'm going to keep making the argument that you got to be at your desk for eight hours a day and work the way I'm telling you to work. And there is no alternative. Like you are, you might win. You might be right in that battle for the next six months, 12 months, 18 months of your company. But if you've got 20 years left in this industry, whatever industry you're working in or in your career, you are what we call a dinosaur dinosaur. And you just have to realize that. So if you've got like five years left that you're working or three years left, keep making that argument. You'll probably be okay. But if you've got 10 years or 15 years left and you're thinking that way, oh, the individual, the, the, the organization's getting more power. And we can tell people what and how and whatever, and we can, we can enforce that on them. And we're going to attract the best talent. Like call me, text me in five years, because I just can't wait to hear 
that, that when you come to the realization that you were totally wrong. Okay, so then I think about it from the individual standpoint. I'm going to shift for these last few minutes. How do I think about it? Well, how am I positioning myself if I'm an employee or a member of an organization? How do I uh, how do I position myself to thrive in that environment? How am I how am I capturing the learning from my experiences in the workplace so that I don't I don't I don't go to work and just be like everybody else. So I'm gaining experiences at this company, in this industry, in this job, in this role. I'm gaining experiences and I'm capturing the wisdom that that unlocks, which is therefore I'm going to monetize in the next position that I have or whatever I'm doing in the future. That's not how most people think, only the successful. The, The people who are stuck are thinking, how do I collect my paycheck and how do I have stability and how do I, um, how do I um, maybe get a little bit of an increase every now and then? And then th- there's just a flat line on their compensation, which is fine if that's what they value more than anything else. But the truly successful people in my experience are the people who are thinking, okay, how do I gather the learning that's available to me in this role And how long do I need to be in it until the growth curve flattens? And then I'm moving and I'm shifting. And how do I make that opportunity available? The number one way I do that is capture learning. You're you're looking at this position, not just for its compensation, but more importantly, on the connections that it provides. Go back to the Naval Ravikant quote in the book that who you work with matters a ton. I've talked about that in how many episodes you all. I'm like teaching, trying to teach you this stuff, put it into your head. So who you work with, so you're networking. That's what this position is paying you for is access to individuals. And those individuals might be the customer. It might be colleagues. It might be your boss. It might be your coworkers, whatever. It's unlocking access to successful people. And so it's networking, number one. Number two, it's unlocking experience and wisdom. You are, you are building or creating a story here that you're going to monetize. You're going to monetize somewhere else. Next position in this company, another job in the industry, another company, create your own thing, whatever it is. So what's the wisdom and the learning that I'm gathering? Am I routinely capturing it? What are the stories that I can tell out of the last six or 12 months from this job? And if I'm not ga- gathering stories and if I'm not ga- capturing a lot of wisdom right now, then the, that means the growth curve has flattened and you need to move. You need a change in the company, in the industry, and in whatever. Okay. So you're thinking through that. And then how am I creating financial stability? So if I need some space or time to be able to change careers or to go pursue whatever, I got flexibility. I am not addicted to my salary. I put stuff away. I've lived beneath my means. I've made smart investments, whatever that looks like. And I've done that over whatever period of time is needed. I took that bonus and I didn't spend it. I put it away. So I've got some space now. And then if you're networking, you're talking to tons of different people in and out of your company, in and out of your industry. You're constantly doing that. I loved that book, Never Eat, uh, Never Eat Lunch Alone or Never Eat Alone or whatever. That was a game changer for me. It didn't I don't know that it had a ton of value in it, but just the statement, like that one concept of, oh, like my lunch and my meals and my breakfast and whatever else are chances to network with people. So I'm networking. I'm getting out of out of my little bubble and then I'm 
I'm gathering wisdom and I'm living, I'm creating financial security, not for, not some kind of massive wealth fund, but enough to, I don't need an income for three months or six or 12 or whatever, whatever that time period is for you. And I've got some, I've got some flexibility. doesn't mean we'd maintain the same lifestyle necessarily. Maybe you could, but I've got it. And it's not in a 401k or retirement account. It's in the, it's, it's accessible to me right now. I could cash it out. I could live off of it. Right. So if you do those things, then the, the rise of the individual, you have gained tremendous. And I know none of us are power hungry, but you've gained tremendous power in the marketplace. Leverage by doing those things. Your opportunity has grown enormously. And so you, you're well positioned to consider lots of different alternatives in the future. If you're not networking, talking to lots of people, not working with people who are smart and successful and, and going to lift and advance you. Um, if you're not, if you're not gathering wisdom and you're not in a position that's unlocking much right now, and you're not putting money away or gaining additional compensation and don't have a path for growth, then yeah, you're a cog in the wheel. You're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a machine in this market of marketplace of machines and your value is not going up. It's going down. Okay. All right. I've talked way too long. This episode's way too long. I, I hope that it was valuable. I hope that all of this um, has got you thinking. My job is to put ideas in your head, to get you thinking, to, to cause you to, okay, what am I not doing that I should be doing? What, what, what's going on in the marketplace? How am I playing this strategically? You want to be a strategic thinker in this marketplace. That increases your value tremendously than someone who's just a clone showing up and clocking in and doing this and doing that and on a salary. Break out of that salary. And, and, and don't be addicted to it. Go to performance-based pay, gain freedom and whatever that looks like. That to me, when, when you do things like that, you're creating, you're growing, you're leading the way, and you are so engaged versus, and so fulfilled versus someone who is not. All right. I have to stop talking. Can you tell I'm passionate about, (laughs) about this stuff? It's because I wish I had heard this. 20 years ago, this episode. Now, the marketplace was in a different place then. And the organization, the institution had way more power. And only a few people in my mind, that it was the minority that could succeed. Very few people could succeed in, 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 with the power of the individual. Very few individuals understood that and unlocked it. Most people were just, what company am I going to go work for? Am I going to work, go work for them for 10 or 20 or 30 years? Pension, all that, whatever. And it shifted. It's, it's totally been shifting. It didn't shift on one day or one year or through just a pandemic. It's been changing from this factory workplace, which is what we write about in The Great Resignation. The workplace is shifting from this factory mindset of adult daycare. Everybody come in at eight and everybody will go home at five. And that's the way the world will work. It's totally shifting. And I want you to thrive in it as it shifts. And so when we get into conversations and debates about who has more power and the institutions getting more power, maybe for the next few months, they're going to gain a little bit of it back, but that will not be the trend line. And the people who are playing that, I, I, I unlocked that 
through what I was consuming, who I was listening to, what I was reading, what I was watching, what I was consuming. I unlocked that. I went, oh my gosh, this is something that's happening in the marketplace. How do I take advantage of it? And the answer didn't come the moment I had that question. It came as I thought about it over and over and over and over again. And then I, the answer for me, and then I realized, oh, it probably looks like this and it probably looks like that. And then I ran up against fear over and over and over again. And wait, I don't know. And I surrendered so much to the institution. And so I had bad bosses, ineffective leaders, people who did not understand how to think strategically and weren't making the right decisions. And I was totally captive, not bad people, just in the wrong position. And I was totally captive and living in fear that, oh my gosh, they might, they might uh, do away with it. Or what would happen if I don't have health insurance? And then I have now I'm three years without health insurance. And by the way, I've got a family of four and guess what? We're thriving. Wait, what? How does that happen? You have to have health. You have to have an employer that provides. And I realized when I went to lunch with somebody and he laughed at me, an entrepreneur, a business owner, he said, Russ, you actually believe that you're falling in. And I went, Oh my gosh. And you start to anyway, um, I'm, um, getting into the weeds on some of these things, the power of the individual. That's the trend. It started decades ago. It's going to continue. And I want you to take advantage of it both as an employer or a leader in an organization or, and as an individual in the marketplace. And I hope you're, you've got some ideas as you've been listening to this episode and more importantly, I hope you'll act on them. I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Culture Hacks podcast. Who do you know that could benefit from listening to this episode? Tap on the share button and text the link to a friend or colleague or write a post on LinkedIn and tag Russ. Thanks for listening to the Culture Hacks podcast with Russ Hill.